I've been musical as long as I can remember, I suppose. All of my earliest memories are probably musically related. One of them is in my grandma's house in Wales. She had a, a huge back garden that was up a hill, and so I'd go out into her garden and run up to the top of the hill and then start singing the sound of music as though I was Maria. Wow. That's great. And I say a hill. I've been, I've been back since. I went back two years ago. It's not a hill at all. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Karis. Hello, Karis. Hello. And this is a, a kind of weird moment to like record this conversation because we've literally like met at one cafe, moved to a different cafe, you've just eaten something, <laughs> like we've, we've hardly spoken to each other in kind of like social ways before we've turned the mic on. It's been very practical. Yeah, it has, it has, <laughs> has. And also for background sound fans, you'll be happy to know that there's going to be quite a lot of background sound in this one, but I like background sound, so I am I'm with you background sound fans. And we're in a Cafe Nero in London, Hove in London, and you've just come from work, I guess? That's right. I was at work, and then I went to a dance class, and then I went back to work, and then I microwaved some dinner, and now I'm here. Right, wow. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's exactly. It's been a busy evening. Right, right, right. Yeah, I've had quite a busy day as well. I've been like editing a podcast, I've had a phone interview with somebody. All sorts of weird things. So, uh, yeah, we're probably both coming from lots of different things into this moment. That's but right. hopefully, in. It's an interesting one as well. Like, we know each other, but I don't think we've ever sat down and had a conversation, right? Like, no, never. No. This is like the first time that that's happened. So we're going to be a little bit awkward at the start. Uh, and hopefully listeners will enjoy that, because I enjoy awkwardness, so I hope my listeners do too. So the first question I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I know you through a mutual friend, Cameron, who I guess we both have worked for. Yeah. I know her because I was her technician for her play Phone Hall when it first came to the Edinburgh Festival. Right. I met you at one of her Smut Slam gigs, which you were producing last year. Right. Yeah, I was trying to work out if we'd met in Edinburgh at some point. Like we might have been in the same rooms or like passed by it's each other possible. in Edinburgh. But I yeah, don't de- think we ever met each definitely, other. Definitely, like, definitely it was London, Smut Slam. And Cameron that brought us together That's like right. in terms of knowing each other. So lots of the people I sit down with I know a lot more about. I guess I've probably heard some elements of your sex life because the nature of Smut Slam and you'll have heard some elements of mine uh, because <laughs> the nature of Smut Slam is you tell stories about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, like we've, this is literally, <laughs> and, and, I, and I can't actually remember, which is good because what happens in Smut Slam is supposed to stay in Smut Slam. Absolutely. So I, I shouldn't be able to remember. It should be wiped from my memory. Yeah. Um, so I guess we've been in the same space and been relatively intimate with audiences, but we've not really talked to each other. That's right. So it's going to be interesting to feel out what to ask you, I guess. Mm-hmm. But luckily, the, the second thing that I do is ask a standard question, so that's good. The next question I know what I'm doing after that is free-falling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so the second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? As in, for work or for it's life? It's really up to you how yeah. you want to interpret it, really. Yeah. Well, I do work a lot, so I I hate answering the question, what do you do, with an answer about work, because I I hate the assumption that That you're defined defined by what you, yeah, yeah, what your job is, but for me, my life is 
a lot of work. <laughs> so I manage a music education program. That's my main thing. Then on the side, I also manage a youth orchestra, and then I also started DJing last year. So lots of like music-related things, and that's why it feels like even though they're all my work, they also kind of bleed into my personal, social right. enjoyment, hobby life. Because you're one of those relatively lucky, although lucky is a complicated word to use yeah. about any form of work, but <laughs> one of those relatively lucky people whose job is basically what you want to do outside of your work, right? Yeah, it's what I love, it's what I feel passionate about, so yeah, I do feel lucky in that respect. Right. Yeah. Like any kind of luck sometimes, like not when it's like been a long day and you're like... Sometimes it's hellish, of course. Yeah. I find it's weird as well because you feel like you can't complain sometimes about lucky things. Like I, I, I make a living, relatively speaking. I don't know if I make a living. I try, I attempt to make a living Uh from doing the sorts of things that I would do, you know, for free as well. Sometimes it feels like I can't complain because I remember what it was like when I didn't do a job that I cared about. But I think we still can complain. Yeah, Uh, we just complain about different things. And yeah. just like be rel- be relatively aware of our kind of I guess luck and privilege, but at the same time, sometimes you just need to moan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Right, and I noticed that you were doing DJing. I guess that's yep. that's the only thing I had, you know, oh, right, coming yeah. in because I liked your DJ page okay, on on, yeah. uh, on Facebook, and I was listening to to some of your DJ mixes oh, earlier on, and I was really enjoying them actually. Like cool. was, they were really nice dance music, but we're kind of I guess I don't want to say world music, but like different cultures music infused within it right fusion I guess is yes. word you could say it, right? it's really I hate trying to articulate what kind of music I play because whatever right. I say it just sounds horrible right. so saying like anything to do with world music I just feel yeah. it's hugely problematic that's such a horrible phrase um, I apologise for bringing it yeah <laughs> but at the same time it's really hard to avoid so yeah what I would say is that I like music that I can dance to and that right. could be all sorts of things. Right. It could be electronic music, it could be samba, it could be right. Afrobeats. Because dance yeah. is like a kind of one of the central flavours that you can get from music and it's kind of cross-cultural in, so in that respect. Everybody dances. We all do it in weird different ways uh, but <laughs> like true. everybody does move their body maybe to music, maybe not to music. That's, a, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's an optional add-in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, interesting. But at the same time, I know that the music that I can dance to and the, that my body responds to is very different from, from someone else, other people. Yeah. Right. So I, I know that for me, when I go to like an indie night or something like that, I'm baffled by all the people around me who are dancing because to me, my body just doesn't respond to it. I can't, I can't fit into the rhythms. My body just becomes this awkward mess, <laughs> and then I find myself at say like a salsa night or whatever and suddenly my body's moving all over the place and there's some of my friends just standing there like right. what do I do yeah I think I'm so... in the indie okay crowd <laughs> in that respect right like, yeah I, I know how to dance to indie music okay I did salsa yeah. for a little while okay um I tried yeah. to, well I, I did dance at uni I, I did a course of dance at uni for a year Amazing. when I was trying to learn this thing that doesn't come naturally to me I also yeah. took some salsa classes and found that again that didn't come naturally to me so do you think that dancing to indie music came would come naturally? Yeah, well, naturally. to me. But then maybe, I don't yeah. know what natural means. It's always yeah. a bit of a dodgy word, isn't it? It is, like, yeah. But at the same time, I guess, for me, I guess with indie music or rock music or, like, heavy, 
rap or whatever, give me some BPMs, I'll dance as well. Like I, I like, yeah. I like electronic <laughs> dance music too. Yeah, yeah. But like, I feel like I've got permission when I'm dancing to any of those kinds of music to throw my body around right. and like not worry about how I look, just feel mm. the music. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like salsa feels a bit more. There are like rules. Elegance is necessary, right? Yeah, Whereas kind of what I do is when I dance well, which I think I can kind of do, mm-hmm. it's kind of awkward dancing. It's kind of frenetic, kind of random shapes or whatever uh-huh. um, in a way that, yeah, dances with rules and dances that involve grace and partnered dancing mm-hmm. as well is a, is a whole kind of minefield that I, I, I prefer true. not to step into. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um. So, did dance come first before music, or music came first before dance? Um, music definitely came first. Dance is something that I really enjoy, and actually, I kind of regret I didn't get into earlier. Even now, I just I do it for fun every now and then. So, I'll, like tonight, I went to a, a dance hall class, and I don't really have the discipline at this stage in my life, especially when I'm really busy with work and all this kind of stuff. I haven't found the discipline to regularly dance or anything. So, music definitely came first. I've been musical as long as I can remember, I suppose. Like, some of my earliest memories are... All of my earliest memories are probably musically related. Wow. Well, what were some of the, those moments that you can um, remember from the early days? <laughs> the early days. Um, some of my earliest memories... One of them is in my grandma's house in Wales, where she had a, a huge back garden that was up a hill. And so I'd go out into her garden and run up to the top of the hill and then start singing sound of music as though I was Maria and I say a hill I've been back since I went back two years ago it's not a hill at all in my mind it was like this giant mountain that I was climbing every day I was very small it was a a real disappointment exactly (laughs) so yeah sound of music I also remember when I was probably around the same age I was very small I got very distressed watching Oliver the musical on TV me and my sister tried to come up with a plan to help Oliver escape from the TV because we were so upset by the situation he was in. It, it was, <laughs> indeed. But yeah, so musicals were definitely something from when I was a child that I you know, loved singing the songs, got very involved in the stories. And I can also remember lots of singing that I did at primary school. I remember I was one of the three pigs in, what is that fairy t- a fairy tale where there's uh, three pigs the when they've got three pigs. houses is that what it's yeah, called, it's called yeah I was a pig <laughs> in some school musical about the three pigs yeah I remember that well also when I was at primary school a few of us got picked because we were we liked music and we liked singing to go and be in the the chorus in the Royal Opera House in Tosca I think it was and I mean we weren't singing we were just sort of standing around just being part of the scene. Right. It was a great, like amazing experience. And all I had to do was stand up and sit down in a church scene. And I got that wrong. <laughs> I was standing up at the wrong times <laughs> and sitting down when everyone else was stood up. It was my first experience of stage embarrassment. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important to get that experience early, I think, if you're going to carry on doing kind of creative things. Like get used yeah. to messing up in public. It's true. And then you can yeah. carry on. It's why people are afraid of going on stage because they think that if you get that embarrassment, somehow everything ends. Yeah. It's like it's the end of the world. But in fact, it's very Life small stakes. On. They're like really low stakes, but they feel like 
such high stakes. So they really, it really doesn't matter at all compared to loads of things that we, we don't worry about, which actually have higher stakes. Right? Crossing a road has higher stakes <laughs> than performing on a stage. I think it's still something I can't shake, though. Like <laughs> right. when I still, whenever I perform, I get very nervous. And afterwards, I'll be like analyzing every single tiny thing that I went wrong. Just like, oh my god, everyone must think that was just so embarrassing. Right. And it's yeah, it's really hard to get over. I don't know when. I'd like to think that at some point in my life, I'll get to the stage where I'll just be cool with my mistakes. Yeah. But I think especially I mean, I haven't no, that. yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm I'm fine. I'm more fine when it's my mistake and I'm doing something by myself. Right. So with DJing, for example, it's like that's just me. So with the youth orchestra I manage, for example, and I'm playing, I'll, I'll go and play in their concerts and stuff. If I cock up a solo or something afterwards, I mean, I feel awful because I've let, I feel like I've let everyone else down. Right, I've ruined right. this big piece that's so much bigger than me, that's centuries old or whatever, and I just, I feel terrible. Wow. So, yeah, hopefully one day I'll, I'll make peace with that. Right. <laughs> and what's your instrument? I play a few things. So my first instrument was the piano. And then the oboe, because of Peter and the Wolf. You know Peter and yeah, the Wolf? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I loved the duck, and I started playing the oboe, cool. and the oboe <laughs> is a terrifying instrument, so I did not realise that before I started playing. I played the oboe, and recently started playing cor anglais, which is almost the same, but I think better. <laughs> I've got a much better relationship with cor anglais. And I also play saxophone, double bass, and guitar. Wow. Right, so you're like a a multi-instrumentalist, I guess, yeah. is, what, is what people might say. Yes. It's really interesting. Your kind of first taste of music is all kind of around musicals. And then you kind of That's learn... That's what I remember. Right, and then you learn, all, yeah. you, you learn all of these kind of... They're all... Well, I, I guess they're from a variety of different kind of genres in some ways. But yeah. they're kind of broadly orchestra kind of instruments. All of them can fit in an orchestra. Not the guitar. That's guitar, true. Yeah. Guitar, well, it depends the on the piece. It well. depends on the piece. But yeah. you're right, they're not the standard orchestra instruments. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, that's why I was sort of starting to contradict myself. I was like, hang on, some of those are more jazz instruments. A double yeah. bass as well, like, you can play it. You can use neither. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when I did learn it, I was mainly doing jazz. Right. Or musicals, actually. Right. Yeah. And but but now you're doing DJ sets of, of dance music, which is not yeah. like necessarily where people would expect somebody who's kind of got into musicals and then played like jazz and orchestra instruments. And done a lot of classical. Right. Yeah. Right. Classical as well, of course. Yeah. So so when I was talking about my earliest memories, some of those are definitely musicals. But then my dad definitely had a huge impact on my musical tastes and that definitely lasts up until this day and I just I remember probably about five cassette tapes that we would just play on loop because that was like all we owned Soul Decade Volume 1 and Volume 2 so soul music was a big part of my childhood reggae compilation called One Love a music from the movies cassette it might just be four and those ones I know all those songs inside out and that's one of the reasons that I started playing guitar because I loved some of those songs and I wanted to be able to play them on guitar and have that kind of independence of just being able to pick up an instrument right. quite easily, portable, be able to sing and play. I mean, I, I would do that on the piano a little bit, but it's not portable right. <laughs> at all. Did, um, did your dad play instruments as well? He plays guitar. He learned guitar to pick up girls, basically, right, right. which it's, he's very open about. It's one of the kind of standard reasons. Absolutely. So he has a, a bank of maybe... 
five songs that he plays and they're his go-to and then once he's run out of those then it's that's it it's over um but you know growing up i admired him hugely and thought that's amazing i want to be able to play those so those are the first tunes i played i made sure that i knew all of my dad's tunes and then started finding the other songs that i wanted to play right. I mean, and, it, and you know, I'm not saying it, it, it doesn't make sense as well, like for you to be a DJ from coming from musicals, because you know, music's an eclectic thing. Uh, like, if I think of my musical taste, I like you know stuff from all the genres we're talking about, yeah. and I hate some stuff from all the genres we're talking about. Right? It's yeah. like it's very specific music. Like sometimes you could just like one song on an album, or sometimes you could like every single song that somebody does, yeah. no matter what they do. You know, yeah. just so plugged into their thing. So, did you study music then? I did, and that was very classical, what I was studying, which I didn't hugely enjoy, right. unfortunately. Like, I, there were aspects of it that I really liked, but in general, like, it was not really for me. Right. But, like, classical is an interesting thing, because, like, at least you, you learn a load of theory, right? Like, yes, I know a lot of theory right. and a lot of history. Yeah. Right, because I'm like, I'm a songwriter, but I'm not the best musician. I play the guitar I need to play to, mm-hmm. to, to sing the songs. I used to do story and song sessions with the under fives yeah. for like five years, or long, longer than that actually, but five years only doing that. Like, so I play a ukulele. Kids kids think I'm great. Yeah. Like like a little bit like you talking about your dad. Like, <laughs> you know, in, a, in, a, in an under fives uh, story and song session, I am... No, I'm you too. I'm like the top. <laughs> like kid, kids love it, and 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 I'm good enough to impress them. But I'm not the best musician. But like one of the things that always kind of frustrates me as a, as a songwriter, as a musician, and it's frustrated a lot of people I've collaborated with who are a lot a lot better than me, um, is just not not knowing the theory, not being able to transcribe this thing or that thing, or like if we want to change. Like when I've been in bands, and it's like let's change the key, and I'm like. Okay, like, <laughs> let's li- I'll have to listen to that a bunch of times and basically like have some cheats yeah. explained to me. So at least you've got that to bring into everything else, even if you didn't enjoy, I guess, the classical experience. Yeah. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, it's like it's hugely helpful. Um, but what I would say is that I think that my classical training has, although it's been very helpful in some ways, has kind of been an impediment in other ways. Ah, right. And Absolutely. like it's. I've found it really, I find it really hard to improvise, for example, because I need the notes on the page. (laughs) Otherwise I'm like, what do I do? I've talked to a lot of other people who find it exactly the same. Whereas if you are brought up improvising and just like getting a general musical ear, I suppose, then that's kind of different. But obviously there are amazing musicians who've got great theory, plus, you know, are really talented and can pick up anything and can improvise anything. I'm unfortunately not one of those and it's a real it's something that I really want to develop and in some ways I feel like DJing is helping a little bit and it's been really great doing it just I've only been doing it for a year and in some ways it feels like a new like, musical education for me and one that is really positive for me right. because I'm getting to use like my musical analysis and all those kinds of skills that I have used in classical music whilst also doing things like on the cuff and live without any kind of preparation I mean I probably should do more preparation but often without any preparation so that's been really helpful and hopefully will 
unshackle me from needing notes and needing things written down on the page. And when you're DJing, do you do you make new mixes or new new music? Do you think like is that your kind of DJing? Like not yet. Right. But who knows? One day. Like I do. But that's the thing. I have written songs and things like that. But it would be nice to think that at one point in the future, I'll be able to just have the confidence and the skills to create music in the moment that I'm happy to share with people. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, at least like one of the great things about DJing is combining things that wouldn't normally be combined. I guess. Yeah. So you, you kind of get to have some of the kick of like sharing something new, but without the kind of responsibility of it actually being yours. It's yeah, quite nice. without the responsibility of it being <laughs> right. terrible. If it's bad, it's like, well, you don't Wasn't like that me. band, but you don't like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. So right, so you studied studied music. Like, where did you study? Oxford University. Ah, uh-huh. right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well. Uh, I can see that's 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 interesting. I mean, that's a very specific kind of classical training as well. There's very specific extra stuff that comes with that that you don't necessarily get in the Welsh College of Music and Drama. But like, yeah, like Oxford is a very specific kind of experience, right? It really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially, and the music course as well is a very specific kind of thing because it's very focused on history of music, and that's cool for some people. For me, I don't really, I don't mind music, uh, history of music hugely. There are things I prefer, I preferred composition and analysis. Right. I didn't take any performance modules, but the history that, that there's a big weighting towards quite early music history, which I just don't really, it doesn't really resonate with me, I right. suppose. I guess it's a specific kind of history as well, right? It's like a, a, a like white history, yeah, white history, yeah. elite history. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And there were another thing: the the core modules that you have to take, but there's no option of dropping, are the things like church music from the 1600s to the 1700s or something <laughs> like that. Um, I don't, that. That wasn't actually a specific one, but no. um, think, but yeah. that there, there are things in that vein. But then there were some really amazing modules that you could elect to take so one of the modules I did was a dance music one that was great because and it sort of links to what I've been talking about with DJing and and stuff because it was a dance music module that looked at dance music as in music that people dance to so it looked at like French music from the 1800s where you have all these pictures of people dancing and, right. and you sort of interpret how people danced back then but then it also has music from I think it was Togo or something and like church music from Togo that people dance in like a religious way too and then also had the origins of hip hop so like looking at all these different ways in which people moved to music right. so that was a great module and there were other modules that were unfortunately optional but right. really good so like I said there's, there were good things there were other things that yeah, it just didn't work for me. And why, why did you decide to go to Oxford? I know that's such a weird... Yeah. A lot of people listening are going to be like, what? Why is he asking <laughs> that? But like, I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, and I think it's fair enough, especially with music, because I would say for anyone who wants to go and study music, that they should look very carefully at what the course comprises of. Right. And if they are really passionate about performing, don't go to Oxford. Or if they want to go and be a performer, that's not the place they should go. Right. They should go to a conservatoire or they should go somewhere where performance is a priority and for me I should have known that music history was not a priority for me but I did know that beforehand and I was I guess one of those people who 
thought to myself, well, I'm about to go into university and study a subject that is thought of as less rigorous and like less academic or whatever. And so I, yeah, I chose to go to Oxford because I thought that would give me the best life chances. And it sounds horrible, and I hate that whole that whole system and the fact that I <laughs> bought into that system. But it felt like a real concern. I think that the people that I grew up with, I loved my teachers, but definitely there was a feeling that by picking music, I was lowering my life chances yeah. in some way, and therefore I needed to give myself that that extra that kind extra of, step right, up. Right. That, <laughs> ma- and that, that makes sense. Yeah. And so, like before you went to Oxford, had you been in a comprehensive school or had you been? No, nope, I no. went to a private school. I, fe- I thought that might yeah. be the case. Yeah. Like when you were describing your teachers seeing music as a lower thing. Yeah, but you say that, you know, I work with a lot of state schools and they would, at the moment, I mean, music and the arts. State state schools don't value the arts, I'm not claiming that they do at all, necessarily. But like, also in state schools, if you've got a good student and and they're actually going to university, like often it's just like, you're going to university, that's that's good. And so like, it's not like, it's not like, oh, that's a Mickey. And also like the Mickey Mouse subjects, I think that state schools are going to treat like as Mickey Mouse are not necessarily going to be music theory they're going to be like very valid courses but like with less cultural uh, even less cultural kind of appreciation mm, but yeah I mean music is getting cut left right and it center, is it is so. I mean all the arts are yeah. and it is bleak as fuck yeah. but like yeah. so going, going back to when we didn't know it was quite as bleak as fuck so you went to a what a private school I did and I think that one of the reasons that it was like oh you're lowering your life chances or whatever by going studying music is because I originally wanted to study science and all the subjects that I was best at at school like you know the ones that my teachers really believed in me in were science so therefore you know I was set to become like an engineer or something like something some respectable job (laughs) I say that but now I feel like yeah it was just all rubbish basically it's so weird that that time when we make these really big choices huge choices I mean I went to Lancaster University which is, is it, it, it might not be, you know, Oxbridge, but it is a Russell Group, like, mm-hmm. university. It's still an elite thing. Like, yeah. people who didn't go to Oxford and Cambridge like to think we're not part of the elite, but Lancaster is, is, is a part of that system too. Yeah. Um, and when I went to do theatre studies there, uh, I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. Like you, yeah. I knew what I liked, yeah. and I thought, well, I guess differently from you, I thought I was going to get it. Like, I thought mm. I was making a intelligent decisions, and I wasn't, right? So, <laughs> so like, I, you know, I, I didn't realise that contemporary experimental theatre didn't mean well I thought it meant contemporary and experimental theatre but what yeah. it really means is a specific genre of theatre that kind of existed in the 70s I mean it does it, it's a bit more than that but it but if I'd have known a bit more I would have known the biases of the of the university I was going to I wouldn't yeah. have thought oh those are exciting words I would have actually known that they were a specific history I was going to be taught similarly you were taught a specific history which wasn't really what you wanted right and yeah like we make these decisions when we we're, you know I, I don't know what I want I, I, I chose not to go to Oxford yeah like my English teacher wanted me to go to Oxford and he never yeah. really forgave me for, oh, for no. not, uh, <laughs> not going but like I was scared to go to Oxford because I don't know I thought I would just become very angry there and I know that, okay. and I know some people who went to Oxford and Cambridge who did get very angry. There. Very angry in what respect? Because I can't, I actually can't think of anyone who became very angry 
person a lot of people became very sad sad is yeah. I mean angry is like I know, uh, they, sad and anger are quite linked for me yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like if I'm angry I'm probably sad it's yeah. just uh, yeah, that's it's the true. face I'm giving to the world at that mm-hmm. moment I mean I, I spent last Christmas in Oxford the actual okay, town yeah. and it's beautiful yeah. and so actually like I, I really loved like that experience <laughs> but I think I was just very worried that kind of certain chips on my shoulder around authority around elitism around privilege like it would like destroy me rather than give me strength even though I am middle class I'm not Mm -hmm. actually like a working like that's the thing like I I felt like I'd feel like really outcast but actually probably I would have fitted in much better than I I thought I would Mm. have done but I mean so like when you went like what? What's your relationship with class? I guess like, where, like, <laughs> like. So you, you went to Oxford and yeah. you were in a private school, but that doesn't necessarily say everything about where you're situated within mm-hmm. the world. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what do I say? It's a big, big question. It is a big question. I'm definitely from a middle class background. It's a very, very difficult question. No, I really no. struggled <laughs> with. Yeah, I really struggled. I, str- I really struggled with Oxford because there are a lot of dickheads there <laughs> just pure and simple and it was one of those weird things where I happened to be at one of the two poorest colleges but you say a poor Oxford college and it's still like yeah. it's yeah. it's loaded but I was I, I was one Easter I had a job as a telephone fundraiser for the college that I was at and you know just speaking those words being like well, you should give us money because we're a very poor college. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying these words. It's awful. I have issues with that. Um, I have, like I said, I have issues with people and some of the structures there, things like the Oxford Union and what it's gone on to create the people it's created, you know, things like that. There are definitely issues. And one thing that I find really distressing I suppose is that you're, you know you're in this environment which is supposedly full of some of the smartest people in the country or possibly the world and yet things like racism like sexism are so are still so rife right. even amongst people who are studying these issues like you know if they're I mean most of the art subjects are studying a lot of these issues in most of their modules and yet they are still, it's, it's almost like being willfully sexist. And that I hate even more than people who are ignorantly sexist, right. you know. I find it so distressing. And you know, it's a very competitive environment. It definitely favours men <laughs> in the, the sort of small group or, you know, two-on-one tutorial groups the person who speaks loudest is the the person who makes the best points supposedly like it's there's definitely toxic elements to it and for me I think I was really lucky in music the tutors that I had are these really like progressive queer champions and you know people who are are really inspiring people but I know that wasn't the case for a lot of my friends but that is a strand of Oxford and Cambridge too as well like people yeah. do forget that like some of the yeah. biggest and most important progressive voices have also been there too absolutely so I mean yeah. so it's, it's you know like everything in life it's really complicated it's full really of, complicated full of contradictions yeah absolutely so Karis is a Welsh name right yes and so I and you said your Welsh grandmother I think Could you yeah like what's the Welsh connection because 
don't have a Welsh accent. No, I don't. I've lived in Wales quite a lot, and I don't have a oh, Welsh really? accent. Oh, so, really? For how long? Um, I lived uh, in North Wales between the age of three and eight, and I okay. lived in Cardiff from 12 to 19. Oh, wow, okay. So, so I grew a up a lot time. in Wales. Yeah, I've never <laughs> lived in Wales, but, yeah, my dad is Welsh. Right. So that's why my name is Karis. Right. Karis Evans, it's like the Welshest name you can get. <laughs> but I take some delight in the fact that people who've like seen my name, like this would happen at school for example, if a teacher was reading out the register for the first time, brand new class, and read out my name and I would say yes, and they would look at me and clearly think that I can't believe that's a Karis, right. because it's, I have slightly brown skin <laughs> for people who don't know right, that right, right. Like, like race is a really interesting thing in, an, in yeah. the audio form right Absolutely, like I can talk yeah. to somebody and people won't know their race at all uh, yeah. because it just never comes up uh, but then when it does come up it, it kind of puts you in a situation like right now I have to describe people yes. and that, that's not something that is, is necessarily a, a comfortable thing for yeah. people to do around race um, but yes, you have slightly brown skin, mm-hmm. and so you are not going to be judged to be from Wales. However, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in Cardiff, <laughs> and it's a, it's a multicultural city. Lots yeah. of people with very Welsh accents who've lived in Wales for generations don't yeah. have white skin. Um, yeah. They probably don't speak Welsh, though. I mean, they probably yeah. speak some other languages that are more useful than Welsh. Uh, but, or know, they speak up to Welsh GCSE, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. You have to study Welsh, yeah. but it doesn't mean you learn it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, any, like anything that you study. And Cardiff Absolutely. is, like, one of the places where people are less likely to be able to speak yeah. Welsh than uh, other parts of Wales. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So your dad is Welsh and you've got Welsh heritage. Yeah. Um, I guess, what's the other half of your heritage, I guess? Uh, my mum is from Thailand. I think she's half Thai and half Chinese, but grew up in Thailand. Right. And so when you were talking about kind of going into Oxford and the, the racism and the sexism, I guess yeah. both of those things are things that you experienced and had to like push against. For me, it was just sexism. Right. I am one of those shades of colour where people don't really know what to think. Right. And generally, most of the time in my life, people have commented on my colour or my ethnicity in a positive way, often mistaken. So for example... People always seem to think that I am their ethnicity. So I get people from Arabic countries, from Latin American countries, from Asian countries being like, oh, you're one of us. And I'm like, actually, no. (laughs) I'm so sorry. In fact, the only country that people don't seem to think I belong to them is Thailand. They all think I'm Malaysian. Those are most of the times when I get, like, pointed out for my race. And I haven't really, like, at university, I don't think I experienced any negative forms of racism. I know, like, I can see where, like, you're, you're doing what I always do when I try yeah. and think about university of, like, yeah. did, did, did I? I? <laughs> did I? Because, <laughs> like, you're, you're so, yeah. you're so half-formed. Yeah. You don't necessarily notice all the, the nuance at that age. Yeah. And, like, the more I look at my, my past in, in, in every way, yeah. I'm like, oh, God, everything was different from what I thought. <laughs> and, God, you know, um, but that's, you know, that's part of the process of, of, yeah. of this whole stuff. Yeah. Definitely, like, it's, it's funny with things like that. Like, my partner says that she never really experienced kind of sexism or, like, street harassment or anything yeah. like that growing up and all of these things. And it's, like, when you look back, like, when she looks back at it now, she's starting to see, oh, actually, oh, wait, no, I did. I did. Yeah. And, like, actually, like, 
she was a goth, right? And so the kind of street harassment she got, she thought was like egalitarian street harassment that was just right. shouting at goths. Where we position, how we dress, all of these things can kind of sometimes disguise it, can transform it into a different That's thing. Funny. Yeah, um, it's true. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird. And actually things. now I'm thinking about it, there's definitely times... I think that the main thing for me was that people would make racist jokes. Right. Which they thought were funny. So they made them about you or to you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. okay. And, uh, but I also think that, and I'm sure that a lot of people have this experience, and the same with like sexist jokes, or right. I think about my teenage years and all the, the guys I know who would tell rape jokes right. as though that was right. a joke. And we just thought that was... <laughs> It's just that you know, someone's joking and you might not laugh, but it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. It was the kind of feeling. And I think that for me, if people were making a joke about Thai people or Welsh people, right. like as I'm sure there's you know, there are a lot, lot of, of Welsh jokes. jokes. About Welsh people, yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> then like, that was just what people do, you know? Yeah. So. No, and it's interesting those kind of things. Like when I look back, like I think there was a like there was a few years when I think whilst I was making jokes all the time that were like about how terrible white people are, yeah. I think that the fact that I was d- making those jokes all the time when I was around people who were not white um, mm. was probably a kind of form of un- 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 unaware kind of racialising of a situation all the time. Like I was mm. trying to like mock like white people and privilege and all of these things. But I think for some people that will have just been experienced of like don't hang out with Dave because like he's just going to make jokes about race all the time and, like you know there's so many so many ways you can fuck up uh, and, and I think I've, I've definitely covered a, a few of them up. in my life yeah but like definitely like yeah our ideas about around humor change all the time based on like our, our, our new experiences our new yeah. understandings of things I mean and like I think yeah like I mean I don't I don't say this to say that that means I'm not racist anymore or anything, but like my niece is uh, half Jamaican, right? And, and that's brought in so many new things that I have literally had to think about, uh, like experiences that white people don't generally get, like yeah. walking down the street holding the hand of somebody who's visually mixed yeah. race when you're a white guy, suddenly things things change. Like yeah. people like look at you like, who is this guy that's stealing that child? Yeah. There's like all of that stuff around. Like like my, my sister used to say like she'd be pushing the pram and, and a, an old white lady would come over and go, oh, can I see see your baby? And then they'd like look in the pram and then they're, then they'd go racist. Do you know what I mean? They'd right, suddenly change yeah. and go like, oh, no, I don't actually want to see that that oh, child. Yeah. And also my gran turned out, I probably would have worked this out anyway, but it became really clear when my when my niece was born that my, my gran was super racist. Uh, so like there's all of those kind of complexities of like, yeah. oh, now I have to reevaluate my entire relationship with race, which I think is a good thing for me. Like, Absolutely. I think white people do need to do that. Yeah, definitely. Right? That's like the central thing that white people need to do. And I guess that started me off down that road a little bit earlier than I would have probably got to on my own. Yeah, um, that's good. But it is, it is interesting, like, being somebody who... Like, my niece has this, like, people can't pin down, like, sometimes what race, in inverted yeah. commas, she what is. What are you? Right, what like, are you? Like, it's so important yeah, to, right. to make sure that you understand what that person is. And, right. you know, I know I feel the same. Like, I, I sometimes look at someone and I'm like wanting to know we've been raised to to want to like box like be able to understand people by putting them into these boxes right where's the cheat codes for this individual I yeah think that's it yeah. that's what it is it's like yeah, you know definitely. okay and, it, and it, the same thing happens with gender like with yeah. one of these things it's like people want to know a definitive answer what are you yeah it's like <laughs> i don't know like what human knows what they are that's isn't that yeah. what we've been making art about for like ever since the dawn of time yeah. like we none of us know who, what we are <laughs> 
but there's definitely these cheat codes that people are looking for. And so, right, so you, you, you went you went to Oxford, you didn't like the course, mm-hmm. now you're you're working in music, I yes. mean, and you do like the music you're making now, right? The, the, the work that you're doing now? Is that I like the work that I'm doing now, and so, you know, one of the, like I said, I work with a youth orchestra, and so that is all classical music, and I don't dislike classical music, I love the music that we play, to be fair, the studying at Oxford just was too much for me, Right. so yeah, I, li- I do like some classical music. I Even though to... I've got issues with it as well, right, right, and right. I've got issues with dress code for concerts, things like that, or concert or audience etiquette, right. things like that. Things um, that make really music struggle. less accessible for exactly. massive groups of people. Exactly. Right. So yeah, I, but I do love that. I, I love the, the children in the orchestra. I love the music we play. I love the people that I work with. The other stuff that I work with. So the the music program that I manage the education program right. a, a core value is that they value all musics from all places from all times so the music that we do in the program both in like classrooms so in curriculum music and also in extracurricular in choirs and in the orchestras they run or whatever make sure to have a, a wide range of genres that we're introducing children to so right. I love that that sounds brilliant it's, it is brilliant how did you end up getting that job so after I left uni I was doing a whole bunch of different jobs generally all related to the arts in one form or another but also for about four years after uni I was supplementing my income with like catering temp work that kind of thing as you need to do often when you're working in the arts so I did various things I actually worked in a school for a year working in their music department and helping out with their concerts and things I worked for a comedy agency I worked for a carnival arts company and I guess is that were you doing those kind of things when you met Cameron I was because that makes yes. sense yeah yeah. That's right. I can't remember when I when I met her. But comedy and festivals and kind of carnival and things like that are the kinds yes. of places you'd find Cameron Moore. Yes. Well, <laughs> I found her online. Oh right. <laughs> because I so I'd worked at the Edinburgh Festival for a few years, working in a venue and also performing in a singing group. And then there was a year that I wanted to go off and do something again, but I hadn't managed to get a job. I hadn't got around to it in time or something. I can't remember what it was. So just looked online for people who needed help and found Cameron. So that was that. Off I went back up to the festival. And luckily I've got family who live there, so I've got somewhere to stay. It's not too risky for me to go up, unlike pretty much everyone else who goes to Edinburgh Festival. It's a, yep. a massive, <laughs> massive drain. drain. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So yeah, for me it was all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. And so you, you, did, you kind of did those things and then you kind of found this... Job. Before this job, I was I went and worked in Ghana for a bit, where I was working with a sexual health charity. But wow. they used theatre to like, educate oh, and wow. about sexual health issues. Right. So, and did you? Were I, you performing in that? I was not. I was doing <laughs> comms. Like, right. Yeah, I was doing comms for them. Wow. Um, so when I was out there, I was aware that I, my time was coming up to return to the UK. So got back on the job job hunt on my very patchy internet at the time I'm sure that the internet there now is probably amazing like it was only three years ago but things are changing in Ghana they're just changing so fast yeah my very patchy internet and had a few interviews and this was one of them and, and then I and haven't there we go. That, yeah just been doing it for 
it's coming up to three years now. Wow. Which is the longest I've ever had a job. Well, I say that, the, the youth orchestra that, that I manage, I've been doing now for six years, maybe, or seven years, but it's sort of like, you know, part-time. Right always on the side kind of thing so I am very committed to that it sounds like you're very busy like, yep. <laughs> you've got, like you, you know, all of your jobs are kind of fulfilling and they're like things yeah. that you want to do but they don't give you much time for yourself I guess is that fair to say um, I think I'm quite good at making time for myself that's good that's yeah. a great skill to have yeah uh, it's difficult but if you were to look at my my calendar it's jam-packed and that isn't just work because you know I, I love the arts as you know so I, I make sure that I'm going and seeing music or theatre or whatever it is like on a weekly basis or more and say, like, seeing friends as a result going with different people um, so I've got a busy busy life that I feel like fulfills me not just in work but also like in the the arts that I'm consuming <laughs> and also the friends that I, you know, I value my friends I value my my partner, my relationship, and still also sometimes make time for myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like to read. I like. I love reading. Wow. I've recently started. I bought an online paint by numbers kit, which has been a revelation. It was amazing. It was really overpriced. I've, I've almost finished this one. It's really big, and it's a canvas, so I'm gonna be able to put it up on the wall and everything. But it's just been the most calming, wonderful experience. I would literally sit down and not be able to stop for about four hours. Wow. But just look at the clock and be like, it's three in the morning, whoops. <laughs> so, paint by numbers, wow. big tip. I mean, Great I, way to just calm, focus on yourself, relax, it's brilliant. I mean, it, so, it, sounds, it sounds good. It sounds yeah. like the kind of thing that helps to generate all of these things like mindfulness and all of this yeah. stuff people talk about. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't, I can't do this meditation thing, so maybe I should get a paint-by-numbers thing. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I've been recommended meditation by so many people, including my therapist last year, so I probably yeah. should try to do something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was already well, I jealous. No, it's hard, isn't it? Like, I think for me, it's also like a... I've got particular difficulties with it because I was raised Buddhist and the fact that I, I, I feel like I can't meditate feels like a real... Right, it's just, I don't know. it almost feels like it should be an innate skill that you've yeah. got from your heritage, I guess. But then like I, I guess maybe I've religion. lost it because I stopped being Buddhist. I don't know. I find it really hard to meditate, really, really hard. So the paint by numbers is great. So you were raised Buddhist. I mean, this is late in the conversation for, the, the, for, <laughs> for me to ask this question, but I, I've got to ask it. So you, you were raised Buddhist, but you're no longer Buddhist. Yes. I've not heard of particularly people kind of losing their faith in Buddhism. Yeah. Although, obviously, there's, I've heard of people losing their faith in, the, in lots of other religions. Yeah. Like, why? Why did you... How many Buddhists do you know? People who are raised Buddhist. Raised Buddhists. I mean, maybe... A, Maybe about three or something like that, yeah. but like not. I wouldn't say not I, I'm many. not massively yeah. like. Not, yeah, it's true. I don't know that many Buddhists. Yeah, it's true. And so for me, I, I would say, yeah, and I get this that question all the time. Right. Um, Sorry. But no, that's all right. I think you know it's it's good to talk about because I think the thing is that a lot of people in this country don't really know Buddhism. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, it's kind of sold like, to people in a certain kind of way if we do know it. Like it's yeah. a very, I guess. West, westernized kind of consumerist kind of Very go to yoga at the moment. Yeah, yeah right right yeah so yeah all the mindfulness stuff at the moment it's, it's all sold in this like you work and the way to de-stress from work is you meditate and it's right. like this I mean it's 
kind of like the antithesis of Eastern philosophies in some ways. Right. But I think that a common misconception is that people are like, oh, but how can you stop being Buddhist because it's a philosophy, not a religion? And to me, it's just as much a religion as any other religion. It's full of the same bizarre rituals and ceremonies and rules that have lingered on for centuries and centuries and shouldn't, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, some of them. Some of them make no sense to me. Um, and that, that, that's not to say that I've got a particular vendetta against Buddhism. I don't. I've got, I think there are things that are great about it. But for me, religion in general. Uh, are no. you religious? No. No? Cool. I'm agnostic. Great. Um, I kind of resist atheism as well as religion. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, for me, religion in general just has huge problems. Um, that sort of structural, the structural problems, the, the problems that come with these institutions that have so right. much power. And, you know, like people, again, I think people think that Buddhists wouldn't be able to use their power for bad as it were right, you know, in the way that you've seen like Christianity yeah, yeah, yeah. or Islam or whatever like the, the big name religions yeah. have I don't think that, you know, the abused way. their power yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever I know but that they absolutely has, can yes, absolutely. yeah and like I said some of the some of the, the, the little rules and it, there's little rules and things that can really get to you especially when you're growing up I think right. when you're just like why am I why am I doing this it right. doesn't make sense to me so I think that you know having denounced my Buddhism age 15 <laughs> Um, since then, I think at the time I was you know, probably quite angry about it and, and stuff. And since then, I've you know, got a, a deeper appreciation for it, and in, and in general, a deeper appreciation for religion right. and the good things that spirituality brings. Right. Um, but also, religions aren't a singular monolithic entity either. Yes. Like religions are multicultural right and so like different cultures will have their different rules around their religion yeah so for well, me so. I only know Thai Buddhism right, exactly. but I know it's very different in China for example well actually my family has, has elements of Chinese Buddhism as well confusing right. I mean and I went to yeah. Japan when I was yeah like, and again 15 really different. and it's a very different thing and there's, a, yeah. there's you know there's Buddhism they, 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 they've got two religions that they all like that it's it's cool to be both those, those religions and I don't think yeah. that every Buddhism would think that necessarily I don't know like I'm not I'm not I think it's quite a common thing with Buddhism that, to have a that it's okay to have multiple religions that's good yeah I mean that's that's the kind of thing that made me say like I haven't heard of people who've kind of renounced that but it, you're, you're yeah. absolutely right to say that that's because I don't know very many people who are Buddhists yeah. and actually like I recently interviewed a, an imam a, a rabbi mm -hmm. and a priest but yeah. I, I, you know I I wish we'd we'd also found a, a Buddhist teacher as well for that, really. And then I would know. Yeah. Then I would have had a similar perspective. <laughs> like you know, I, I, I can say for all those three religions, they're not monolithic entities. Yeah. Um, but I, I should have also been applying that to every other religion that exists mm -hmm. and not just those three. Yeah. I guess that's me trying to create the cheat mm -hmm. codes. You know, <laughs> so like the, the very thing I, I slightly criticised other people for earlier on, <laughs> also doing myself. So yeah, the, the, it's been a real pleasure getting better. A great interview. Like I. I Again, like we had hadn't really like I didn't really know any of this stuff before we yeah. sat down, so it's been really interesting to find out about. The last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? <laughs> um, do I have anything to plug? Well, as I'm still starting out, I'd say as a DJ, I guess I would plug myself as a DJ. Absolutely. Um, I'm gigging quite a bit at the moment, generally like in bars and stuff, but me and also my DJ collective 
have we'll have some like big nights coming up this year. I think we're gonna be doing some festivals, for example. So if you want to check me out, I am my DJ name is Matana, which is my Thai middle name. And so you can find me on M A T. That's right, M A T A N A. And so you can find me on Facebook or on SoundCloud at Karis. That's C A R Y S Matana. Right. Difficult to spell. Like difficult to spell is your kind of like that's that's the world you have. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the DJ Collective as well, is there oh, somewhere yeah. people can find that? Yeah, the DJ Collective is called Sisu, which is S-I-S-U. Um, I think that's, that, that's just what we're called on Facebook, so if you right. check it out there. And, and since we met through Cameron, and since yeah. I'm not doing Smut Slam London anymore, but I do yeah. hope it carries on and happens again, I, I will also do a little shout out for Cameron at this point. Uh, you should check out her stuff. Uh, CameronMoore.com, uh, or she's also like the best way to find out what she's doing is to just like follow her or friend her on Facebook, uh, where she's Cameron Moore. And uh, Smart Slam hopefully will come back to London, and it's definitely happening all over the world. Uh, like Berlin is, is a particularly new and happening place for Smart Slam at the moment because that's where Cameron is. But like people should check out Cameron stuff. Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this. That's uh, all right. The last thing that I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> so if you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, then you might be interested in my solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which you can listen to for free as a podcast. And you can also read the survey of a thousand men's opinions about patriarchy and masculinity that I put together. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk or you can look for Stand Up Tragedy on iTunes and listen to the most recent podcast, which is a full version of that show. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship and again a little bit about masculinity then check out my essay series Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad. As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.